the art of neighboring. Man, it's so challenging, isn't it? Today we're going to be talking about the time barrier. It's probably one of the most significant things that I continually need to learn. You know, sometimes the lesson that you most need to learn is the one you think you already knew. This is it for us, the time barrier. We need to constantly, continually be reminded of what it means. What does it mean to take the great commandment, to love God and love your neighbor seriously? What does it really mean? I'm telling you, this could be one of the greatest advances that Great Hills has ever made if we really do this. I love the word art in the art of neighboring because being a good neighbor is, is, is an art more than it is a science. There's not just a step-by-step procedure on how to be a good neighbor. It truly is. It's an art. Um, there's no formula to it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that everything that we do All the demands of the law and the prophets hinge on these two things. Now, what Jesus didn't say was, don't worry about keeping the law anymore. Don't worry about it. Just love. What he he meant when he said that was, you can't truly fulfill any of the demands of the law and the prophets unless they filter through these two great ideas. And to love God and love your neighbor is, is essentially the same thing. You can't separate the two. The reason for that is I can do the right thing with a bad attitude. You know, I I can still have a right action and have a wrong heart or a wrong motive. But if my heart is right, then my actions will naturally follow. So what would it look like if I loved my neighbor? These are the questions that I've been asking myself. What would it look like if I tried to get to know my neighbor What is it that keeps me from loving my neighbor? What would it look like if I prayed for, cared for, shared with, celebrated with my neighbors? Can I love my neighbor if I don't care for them? Can I love my neighbor if I don't pray for them? Can I love my neighbor if I don't have time for them? And can I love my neighbor if I don't really love God? The verse that we're going to be looking at today is from Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, a psalm of Moses. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There is so much wrapped up in this one verse. So much. Teach. God, I need to learn to continually number my days so that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Essentially, it means because I know that one day I'm going to die, I don't want to live as a fool. I know that I only have a certain amount. In my house, um, we're going to show a picture right here. I've got a a fireplace and a mantle and and above my mantle, I I have, this is what it looks like, just as a reminder the great commandment, the great commission kind of summarized into, into six words. Love God, love people, make disciples. But if you'll notice underneath there are three jars. Uh, 
Those three jars have the names of my kids on them. And they have marbles in them. Those marbles, every week on Sunday, I take one out. From the time your kids are born until the time they graduate high school, there's a week represented by each marble in those jars. And it helps me to number. My days. It helps me to remember what's really important and not to waste a weekend, not to waste a week. Because once it's spent, it never never comes back. <clears throat> my mother-in-law, she hates this thing. <laughs> I mean, she, the first time whenever we put it up, we've had it up for probably two years now. <clears throat> when we put it up and Emily's was already over half gone, it, it just broke her heart. It broke my heart because I realized at that time, all right, now there's a number on these weeks, man. And it makes a difference when every week I go in there and I take one marble out and I've spent it. Man, God tells us our days are numbered. What are we going to spend it by? So we're going to start by clarifying a couple things about time. I'm going to make two statements. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. One, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough time to do everything that you want to do in life. Everything that you see everybody else doing, everything that you, you know, bucket list, if you're going to make them up, get them all ready, you don't have enough time to do everything you want to do. Second thing, you have enough time. Wait a minute, Stu, you just told me that I don't have enough time. Exactly, but you do have enough time. How can two things that are exact opposite mean, can they, can they both be true? Yes, they can. You have enough time to do exactly what God has given you the time to do. God hasn't asked you to do anything more than your time allows. Our problem is that we don't prioritize our time. We don't really view what is important as important. See, we all say, man, we want to change the world. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Time is the currency of our lives, and it's the only thing that gets more valuable the less we realize we have. If you really think about it, you can't have time, you can't keep time, you can't stop time, you can't make time, you can't really even save time, you can't find time, you can't slow time down, you can't pass time. Really, all you can do is you can spend time, invest time, you can waste time, and you can hammer time. And even if you hammer time, you have to stop first. So just remember that. <laughs> Your time, it doesn't just have length, though. You don't just have a number of days. Your time doesn't just have length. It has volume. I've got a bucket here that's got some softballs in it and uh, baseballs and some, some different things like that. And I want you guys to tell me, is this bucket full? And we're just going to... Simple raise of hands. How many guys would say this bucket is full? 
I'm going to say, no, it is not full. All right, mostly. All right, so I've got some folks that are going to help me put some more things in here. So if you've got something that you need to put in that bucket, just, just go ahead and raise your hand. All right, man, that was horrible. One right there. Now is it full? No. All right, anybody else? Very good. How about now? Whoa. From the cheap seats back in the back. Good throw, though. All right, let's see right here. Yeah. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. Some, hey, some opportunities, some things, they just get by you. You know, I was supposed to catch that twice. Good night. You see, and thank you. That's a good neighbor right there. Old Pastor Danny State Farm Forshe, like a good neighbor, he is right there. Now, I, there, may be, there may be a couple other people that have something I need to put in my bucket, but I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. This, this bucket, whenever I ask if it's full, most everybody said, no, it is not full. Because we tend to view everything at maximum capacity. Our view is how much can I possibly fit into this bucket? And you've probably all seen the demonstration where you take the, the big things and you put in the bucket and you fill it up and say, is it full? No. And so you take some smaller things and you start to fill in the gaps behind it. And then is it full? No. And then you take like some, some rice or some sand and you fill it all up. Is it full now? And everybody says, yes. No, you can't. You can take some water and put on that until it completely gets up to the top. And you can put maximum capacity in this, but that's not our measure of full in our lives. Your life is a container. It's just like this. And everybody from all around is gonna be asking you, they're gonna be begging you to put stuff into your time. And what you put, what you fill your life with is either gonna make you usable or unusable. The only container that has no use is one that's full. I can't put anything else in a full container. If you're trying to serve God with full plates, you can't. How can you love your neighbor if you have no time for him? How can, this bucket gets full whenever I, whenever I say that's enough. Whenever it has reached what I need it to be. I don't fill this bucket completely up when we go down to the park and hit softballs because it's too heavy for me. To, I don't want to carry that much. And I know that if we just stand there and time after time after time, we need a break between, you can't just hit a hundred softballs in a row or a hundred baseballs in a row and just keep on going. You need some time to rest. How full is your bucket? What are you filling your life with? Man, that hurt me right there, did, did it you? I needed, I needed to hear that. Because I'm a maximum capacity guy. I've got five minutes right here. What do I need to do with it? Okay, well, I'm going to stand in line. I can check my email. And I got a text one minute ago. And we just fill all of our time, all of our space. What really matters? God wants you and I to do what's important. But Satan wants us to get wrapped up in what's doing, doing what's urgent. And there's a difference, important and urgent. Pastor Danny talked about it last week. If the devil can't get you to fail, guys, 
He'll switch directions and help you to succeed at something that doesn't really matter. Man, the only thing that would be worse than being an epic, utter failure is being a great success at something that has no meaning, has no importance. If our lives are filled to the brim so that we can't love God and love our neighbor, we're all full, all right, but it's not important. Man, I need to hear this. I don't know about you guys. You know what really matters to a person? You can tell what really matters to a person by what they're willing to give up in order to get something. What are you willing to give up to get? We find in the most famous verse in all of scripture, John chapter three, verse 16, what's really important to God? What's at God's heart by what he was willing to give up in order to get? God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believed on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his son so that he could give us. His priorities are huge. You know what that means today? That means that you really matter to God. Your life matters. Some of you guys, you might be sitting in here this morning and you say, you know what, I I don't even feel like my life matters to anybody. I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I don't have anything here. I just moved to this area. I've been living here for a long time. I've not connected with anybody. I don't feel like my life even matters. Listen, it matters. Your life matters. And here's something else, just as equally, your neighbor's life matters to God. That person that lives right next door to you, their life matters. Jesus died every bit as much for their life as he did for your life. It matters. Colossians chapter four, verse five says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. This past week, if you're a sports fan, follow anything, you you saw that Yogi Berra died. That's Yogi Berra, the New York Yankee, not the, hey, boo, 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 get some picnic baskets. Not that, that's Yogi Bear, Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra was famous for a lot of things. Being a baseball player was one of them. But one of the other things that he was famous for were yogiisms. He would say stuff all the time. One of my favorites is you can observe a lot by just watching. You'll catch that in a minute, maybe. If somebody just observed you, just dropped in and said, I'm just going to watch Mike Miracle. And they just watched him. What would they observe about his priorities? Would they say, man, that dude loves God. And he is crazy about trying to love his neighbor. What if, what if they watch you? What if they watch me? Oh, that hurts sometimes. As a matter of fact, it hurts a lot of times. Because I'd like to say, man, oh yeah, they'd be able to tell very quickly that I love God. And then I spend time, I work for God, I, I, for God and for God and for God and for God and for God. But whenever it comes to that actual neighbor part, hmm. It's a lot harder. 
One of the other things that Yogi said was, the future ain't what it used to be. And that is true. You know what I've observed? Most of us aren't living our present like we had imagined our future. Make sense of that statement. Most of us aren't living our present like we had imagined our future. Like when you were growing up, you, you know, I want to have this and this and this, and this is what I want my life to be. And then you maybe married and got a job, and this is what this is and this and this and this is going to be. And your future plans aren't your present reality. How many of you guys are living that right now? And it could be good, it could be bad. There are all kinds of things that happen that, that change in our lives. There are sickness, loss of a job, divorce, disease, death, fortune, unexpected blessings, children. Time flies. Time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a banana. <laughs> Got to keep everybody with me. It's, it's different though, isn't it? What you planned your life to look like doesn't look like what, it look, what you thought it was going to look like. And that's okay. That's okay. James 4.14 says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I heard somebody say one time that if, if the whole human history was an epic novel, that your scene in human history would be like as the camera pans past a busy street for that just split second, you're just a flash. And if you paused it at just the right time, you might be able to see the guy that's standing at the food cart selling hot dogs. And you're the guy that, like, you've got an elbow in the frame as you've walked behind it. Man, our lives, whenever you compare to eternity, man, they're short. And they have, they have, a, they have a time. How, do you, how are you spending your life? How are you spending and filling your days? In 1967, experts on time management delivered a report to the U.S. Senate. These experts believe that the speed of technology, satellites, and robots would present a big problem for the American workplace in years to come. The problem was that people would have too much time on their hands. They concluded that by 1985, people might have to choose between working 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, or retiring at 38, which I just turned this year. And retirement is not anywhere close. How about you? Yeah. We didn't slow down, did we? Good call, experts. Like, who, who was responsible for that? Almost 50 years later, we're moving faster than ever. We're obsessed with being busy, getting things done quickly, and our pace is out of control. Compare the pace of our lives with the pace of Jesus' life. It's hard to, isn't it? There's not very many similarities. Jesus was never hurried. He was never pressed to the point of frantic life or frantic living. One of his friends died and he hung out for three days before he even went there. 
Jesus did not get in a hurry, and he had a very important mission to fulfill in a very short window of time to do it. But Jesus didn't move at human pace. He moved at God's pace. And hurry isn't, it isn't from God. Our busyness and hurriedness isn't just a scheduling problem, though. It's really, it's really a heart problem. And it may be time to question what it's really costing us. There are three things that I want to look at real quick about a hurried life and what it costs. A hurried life destroys your relationship with God. Wing Mandao, a Chinese pastor, said that we have so much to do that we never really commune with God as he intended in the Garden of Eden. Intimacy with God requires stillness attentiveness, and silence. We gotta get off life's freeway to be still. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I want you to think about this. When's the last time you were still? I mean, really still. You're just, you didn't have 52 things running through your mind that were on track, that were coming down the pipe that you needed to get ready for. You were just still. I have a hard time remembering the last time. I mean, honestly. And that's not good. A hurried life decreases your capacity to love others. It's not a coincidence that the great love passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 begins with love is patient. You know what? Love has time. But time is something that hurried people don't have. We just don't. The more we increase the speed of our lives, the less capacity we have to love others. The third thing that a hurried life does is it numbs us to injustice. Hurry is a desensitizer. If you drive Austin traffic for very long, you realize that that's all you can do. You can't pay attention to what all else is going on. You can't, I'm a, I'm a lollygagger driving. I mean, really, I, I, I grew up not really watching what's in front of me, but watching everything that's on the sides. Never had a wreck, still, so that's a good thing. And Sarah always would be like, watch, watch out right in front of you. And she always said that if I ever have a wreck, it's going to be with the person in front of me because that's where I'm not looking. Man, I love to observe. I love to see what all's going on. You can't do that here. You can't do that in traffic. You have to be completely focused on what your job at hand is. And that is not only to go from point A to point B, but to not get into anybody else's point A to point B. And traffic flow, traffic speed, You have to be on your game at all times. You don't have time to do anything else but drive. All right. When our lives move at freeway speed, we don't have time or energy to consider the world that's outside of our very own lane. And it's easy to become desensitized to the brokenness in the world around us. I heard someone say that It's not that we don't love the poor, it's that we don't know any. I could probably be said about our neighbor too. It's not that we don't love our neighbor, we just don't know them. We don't know them because we don't have time 
to love them. Our hearts become callous to the things that break God's heart. The refugee crisis, sex trafficking, abortion of millions around the world, the treatment of God's people by ISIS, injustice. Maybe those are too far away though, so let's, let's get a little closer to home. What about the fact that in 2014, that was last year, there were over 30,000 kids in Texas who needed a loving foster family to show them what love looks like. Did you guys know that? We probably didn't because we're pretty busy. A lot of them are eligible for adoption. What greater way, man, for us to show the love of Jesus and the adoption into a family than taking care of those kids. Man, that, I know that's a problem, Stu. I know it's a big deal. I just, man, it's just, I got, I got all kinds of stuff going on. And it, uh, you know, I, foster care too, I just, it's, it's something that I, I just don't know, you know, it, I don't know that I could give those. The reason that we really don't get involved in that kind of stuff is, you know, I just don't know that we could, we could have a kid in our home and love a kid for a little while and then, then have to send them back. It, it'd just be too hard. That's what I said to our social worker as we began to talk about adoption, foster care. Man, we, I don't know that foster care, man, that's tough. I just don't know that I could love a kid like that and then, and then have, to, have to let them go back. And she said, I hear, I hear that a lot. And she said, I appreciate the thought behind it. And here's what you're really saying. Your emotional comfort is more important than this child's welfare. Because your neighbor, loving your neighbor is not easy. It's messy. It hurts. Anybody who's ever been through the adoption process or worked with foster kids will tell you that it is not a bucket full of daisies. It's hard and it's worth it. Is it ever worth it? But we don't have time well, I've got this going on and maybe in this season of my life I'll be able to do, you know what never comes? Tomorrow, because by the time it gets there, it's today. Sometimes, man, we just need to start. We need to reprioritize and we need to say, hey, I'm gonna do this because right now matters. And if I don't ever start, we were getting ready to start having a family and man, I don't know if we can afford this. Here's what we heard from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of same like of people. Well, if you wait till you got money for have, to have kids, you'll never have them because you'll never have enough money. How many of you guys ever heard that before? How many of you guys ever told somebody that? Is it true? Absolutely it's true. It is true and it is, it's hard because we spend our time doing some different things. We've got a, we've got a chart right here that I want you to look at. This is from last year, the, the time that an average workday for an employed person ages 25 to 54 with children. This is how we spend our time, kind of the breakdown. So we sleep about eight hours. We work about nine hours. Leisure and sports time, two, two and a half hours. Household activities, an hour. Eat and drink, an hour. Caring for others, that's uh, 1.3 hours. Others, or other uses are 1.7 hours. So, and for the average workday person who's employed with children, caring for others, that 1.3 hours, that's not outside your house. 
I'll promise you that. You got to care for your own kids, your own family. You got to do all that. We've got all this stuff that we spend our time and then other 1.7 hours. Now, if you're like me, you try to multitask as much as you can so you can overlap those pie pieces, right? Because if I'm at a stop sign, stoplight, you know, you can, you can check your email, you can send a text real quick before the light turns red or the person behind you honks at you, right? We try to do all these things because we've got more stuff to do than we can get done, and I've still got to have other. I've got to prioritize what, what I do, and, and it's hard. It is not an easy thing to do to prioritize my time correctly. Have you ever, uh, ever seen those internet memes that, that say you had one job? Like, like the kicker. <laughs> For a football team, has one job. The priority is to catch the ball that snapped to you. If you get your priorities out of whack, bad things can happen. I'm just saying. We've got all kinds of, my team is not the best sports team. It takes a big man to say that and it's true. My team is not the best sports team. But man, we've got we've to prioritize our time to love God and love our neighbor. I, I have a feeling whenever I, I stand before God one day to give an account of what I did and all the stuff that I've, you know, that I do and stay and stuff like that. I, 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 man, that was good. That was good. That was good. That was good. This is what I did. God, this is what I did. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. You had one job. Love God. Love your neighbor. Make disciples. What is our priority? I mean, really, what is my priority? So we begin to think. We begin to think about a lot of things, about re- reprioritizing. Every time, every time you say yes to something in your life, it, it qualifies that you have to say no to something else because you only have a certain amount of time. You can't do everything. We already, we already said that. So for every ball that I put in this bucket to make it full, I have to necessarily say no to something else because there's going to be more than I can handle to put in my capacity. I, only, I, can, I can spend one plate really good, two, maybe, three, something's getting broke. Some of you are better plate spinners than I am. You have more capacity. Some of you are less good at plate spinning. It doesn't matter what your capacity is, it's what's in it. What are you doing with your time? So what if we begin to do that as a church? What does it look like to pray, care, share, and celebrate? What if it was that our church and churches around the country became more Christian than religious? What does it look like when we reprioritize our time and our money? I heard a great uh, statement that you've probably all heard about prioritization in our lives, about giving God the first hour of every day, the first dime of every dollar in the first day of every week. That's a good start. First hour of every day, first dime of every dollar, and then the first day of every week. If you'll start right there, that'll, that'll go a long ways towards getting your priority list in order. So 
What if we begin to do all that as a church? Paul Harvey made a great statement. He said, our churches have drifted away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. But he's right. He's right. Man, we keep a pretty good aquarium and there are all kinds of fish that are far from God. So that's what we've been talking about a lot in our staff meetings, our, our teacher trainings, and what, what do, what, how do we need to prioritize our time? Is there a better way for us to spend our time and resources? Are we willing to stop doing some good things in order to do some great things? Those are hard questions because it's hard to, it's hard to say, you know what, this is a good thing, but this is a good thing. If you got an email from Pastor Danny this week, it, it mentioned a little bit about the fall festival this year that, that we're not going to be doing. And we got to talking and got to looking at things and, and, and stuff and calendar and schedule and all that. And we thought, you know what, what if, let me, let me say this, fall festivals are good. I've been a part of them for like 25 years. And depending on your, your church culture and your context, if you live out in a place where people don't live close together and they don't easily get around together to centralize a location for people to come to get young families and to minister to them right there. That is a great thing. Is that our context? Is that our culture? So we started asking some questions. Said, what if, uh, uh, where, where do our people live? The people of Great Hills. You know, about half of them don't live in Austin live all over the place. This is a very drive time commuter type of church. What kind of places do they live? Most of them are highly populated neighborhoods and apartments. What else is going on Friday, October the 30th? Football. There's a lot of people that are engaged already in football on Friday night. What kind of night time will we need to spend getting this thing ready? Lots. And I don't know if you've ever been on the front start side to the finish side of putting together something like this, but it is, it is massive. Time, resource requirement that we... So knowing that our days are numbered, is there a wiser way for us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders to make the most of our time because we know that the days are evil? What would impact more people by engaging their neighbors? And what should we do? Not what are we doing, not what have we done, what should we do? You talk about hard questions to answer. Those are hard. I mean, hard. If there was only one night of the year, though, we thought, that we could get people like in mass to come out of their homes and wander around their neighborhoods, actually going house to house and knocking on people's doors. If we could somehow manufacture that type of a night where people just did that, if there was only a way that we could encourage a night nationwide and really take advantage of it by capitalizing on the opportunity to get to know the people that live right next door to you. Man, if only such a night existed. When young families would come out of their houses and go around and meet their neighbors Maybe even bring candy or corn dogs. Wait a minute. This is good. 
the very next night, Saturday, October 31st, there's something that happens just exactly like that. I didn't understand this until we, we moved into more of a neighborhood context. I've always been a country boy, lived out in the middle of the nowhere, the sticks. My, my house was, you, you couldn't drive past my house. It was the last house. We didn't, we didn't do, we, that didn't work for us. But you know what? Whenever, I start, whenever I, we moved into a city, you know what happened? We met more of our neighbors on October the 31st than any other night of the year. You know why? They're out walking around. Man, we took our fire pit down to the end of the driveway. We put a few logs in it. We had some marshmallows and some chocolate out there. We're roasting s'mores. We got a big old table with some candy and stuff like that. Our neighbors were coming by with their kids, telling us their names, where they live. Yo, we live right down there. Where are you from? What do you do? Shazam! What if instead of having one fall festival, we had 200? What if instead of having it at one location that prevented people from coming to it, what if we had 200 in locations that are where people are already going to be? Oh, I like this idea. I'm, I'm telling you what, I'm crazy excited about it. I've already thought of some things I'm going to do. I'm going to make it. Y'all call it beanbag toss mostly. We call it cornhole. Take a beanbag, you throw it in a hole right there, you know, in a, in a board. Y'all ever played that? We're... Slow people. <laughs> Slow games. Man, do something like, we're going, we, as a matter of fact, we've been coming up with a list of some things that you can do at your house to engage people that are going to be knocking on your door. Man, I'm, I'm already decided I'm going to put a sign up in my yard a couple days before said, October 31st, come here. So that when people drive by, they're like, well, what are they going to be doing there? My neighbors are going to see it for a couple days. October 31st comes around. Man, we're going to have some games out there. We're going to have some things for kids to do. Daniel was talking about bringing a grill out and grilling some hot dogs, handing out hot dogs. I mean, holy smoke, give somebody a reason to stay on your property for a little bit and figure out who they are. Let them have some fun. Be that kind of a neighbor. Bring them a corn dog. You have a lot more happy people in the world. And I know, I know that anytime, anytime something changes, man, it freaks me out too. I don't like it. I like things to stay in the same little deal that they've always been because I know what's going to happen. So I got to asking some of the, those questions. Well, what? Well, we don't celebrate Halloween at our house. We don't either. Here's what I do celebrate, though. I celebrate the opportunity to get to know some people that live in my neighborhood. I celebrate the opportunity to get to be a good neighbor. Well, we've not ever done it before. Good deal. Maybe we'll have something happen that isn't happening right now. You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Man, let's, let's try some stuff. Well, what if somebody gets mad about changing things? Surely that wouldn't happen in a Baptist church. <laughs> no, really, husbands, let me ask you something. Has your wife ever changed something you didn't like it? Her hair, a recipe, your mama's chocolate pie, anything. You didn't like it? Have you had a week in your marriage that you haven't disagreed about anything? 
I mean, is, is there, do you always agree with your employer? Do you always agree with your spouse? No, sir. We disagree about stuff. Sarah and I, we love each other as much as I can possibly think that we could love each other. I'm going to probably disagree with, we're going to have a disagreement today. So do I say, get on out of here. She said that to me, why don't you just go somewhere else? No, we don't. You know why? Because we love each other. And as believers, guys, it's okay to disagree with the way that we do something. It's not okay to be divisive about it. So when we try new stuff, man, if you like new Wednesday night schedule, well, I tell you what, I just don't know how that's going to work. I just, well, we don't either because we haven't done it yet. But you know what we're finding? It frees up a lot more people to have the time to be able to be here that aren't here yet. Which is, by the way, one of the missions of our church is to not just be here for the people who are here, but to be here for the people who are not yet here. Can't make it through a week without disagreeing, not, not even once. If you can't disagree with your spouse, if you can't always agree with your spouse, you think, you think that Pastor Danny is going to be able to make everybody in the whole church happy? Not a chance. It's not going to happen. There's a difference between disagreeing and being divisive. Romans 16, 17, I want you to listen to these. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Titus 3.10 says, as a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. Man, I, we, we want the best. We want to do the best things. We want to do the most important things. And if there's a better way to do something, we want to do it that way. But if Sarah comes home and she's got her hair cut in a different way, I say, I will never talk to you again. <laughs> I'm wrong. I don't need to apologize to her for my attitude and for my actions. Attitude's like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. I've had lunch with a guy a couple of weeks ago. Phenomenal dude's about to become a member of our church. And uh, I was asking him, so what do you do? What, you know, what are you good at? What are your gifts? He said, well, I don't really want to tell you. What? He said, I don't want to tell you. Why do you not want to tell me? Because I'm thinking this guy, he just wants to you know, come and just, no, I'll just sit and soak and all that kind of stuff. He says, because I want you to tell me what you need and how can I plug into that? So, so, um, come again? Are you serious? Man, that's the kind of folks that have priority. How do we prioritize our time? I want to live a life that matters. I want to be wise because my time is short. Your neighbors are important. How can we reach them? So as we come to the end, what do we do? Not just in theory, in practice. What do we really do? First thing is we're, we're about to get ready to have an invitation. We're going to invite you to come to this altar to either pray if you want to talk to a pastor, you need something 
you need somebody to pray with you, you want to just come and spend some still time with the Lord. I'm going to give you really about four things that, that we're going to do during this invitation. You may need to commit. You may need to say, you know what, my priorities are, are kind of out of whack. I don't have time to love my neighbors. So I need to, God, would you please show me what I can take off my plate, what I need to say, this is not a priority in my life so that I can do what's important. Some of you guys may need to repent. You've been wasting time. I had to do that this week. God, I'm, I'm wasting time in some areas. My time is full and I'm wasting it. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to make it right with somebody. Maybe you've gotten a kind of a disagreement, a headbutt with somebody about something. Maybe you had kind of a divisive spirit. Maybe you need to just come and repent before God and then go to that person and say, you know what, I'm, I was wrong. It takes a big man, a big woman. I don't know if that came out right. takes a big person to say, I was wrong. But you know what? It's the right thing to do. Maybe you need to just come and say, you know what? I give up. I give up. I need to give my life to Jesus. The, the salvation that's offered by Jesus through, through his shed blood, I, I, I need that. I need to be saved. You may say, I need to give up. I need to give up some things that I'm doing. I need to give up some things that aren't important. I need to just give everything that I've got to what really matters. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes right now. As our musicians and folks are coming, as we're preparing for this time of invitation, I want you to ask yourself this question. What do I need to do in light of the time that I have left. What do I need to do in light of the time that I have left? Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your, your commands are not burdensome, Lord that your burden is light, that your yoke is easy. And God, whenever we overlay that with our current life and our current situation, ah, we need to give up some things that are on our plate in order to put your plate first. God, would you help us? Would you show us? Would you convict us? Would you expose us and encourage us to do what's really important, to make our lives matter. God, I pray for everyone who's under the sound of my voice right now, whether you're listening online, whether they're sitting right here in this room, or whether they'll be listening to this at a future date. God, I pray that you would convict us all about how we spend our time. Because every day that passes is a day that we don't get back. God, let us be who you've made us to be. Let us love you love our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen.